Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. And hello, friends. I'm Ra, and welcome to 2023. With the start of the new year comes with the start of a long list of resolutions. And one resolution that tends to be at the top of many people's list is moderation. So as the resident FBC boozeless baddie, it is my pleasure to introduce a fellow boozeless baddie, Jen Gilhoy. Thank you so much for being here today. Yay, I'm excited. I've really been looking forward to this conversation for a while. I've been wanting to have like a boozeless, like sober talk for months now. So I'm happy that it's you. With that, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? And like, why yeah. you're the perfect person for this conversation? <laughs> First of all, I'm a feminist book club member. Met Renee, the founder, years ago at Modern Well, and have seen her just take this this group and the community and just expand it beyond what seemed imaginable at that time. Kudos to Renee; she's created something amazing. And yeah, I'm Jen Gilhoy, and my business mainly is SparkTrack, which is marketing, communications, and events. And I just celebrated 10 years with that business. And so as an entrepreneur, I have been involved with several different collaborations and in May of 2022, launched a Zero Proof Collective, which is a gathering of people that are in the business of advancing NA, which is non-alcoholic options in social spaces. So that has been absolutely thrilling. And I am excited to be here today to talk all things entrepreneurship and boozeless baddies. It's such a fun word. So when I was kind of researching you, I should say, like how I should do my intro and everything, I saw nothing about the Zero Proof Collective. So I definitely want to know more about mm. that and what you're doing with that, because that sounds really exciting and cool, and I want to know more. It's really been an organic shaping of it. And rather than coming from a place that we need to start a business to kind of capitalize on the boom of the non-alcoholic industry, we started with the vision of community and collective. And what I was seeing as I started being more open about my sober journey, so I have eight years of sobriety. No one was really talking about or pushing the idea of having non-alcoholic options in our social spaces. And for me, it really came down to the idea of how can we work together? Because there were many siloed people doing amazing things in the NA space. So you had like your makers that are during the pandemic were going inward and making all these phenomenal non-alcoholic products in so many different ways. And then you have bars and restaurants who have suffered through the pandemic. How would they be able to take a concept like non-alcoholic beverages and add it to a menu when they have so many other challenges? So we were just looking at all the people who wanted to make change and have this, what I call sober, not somber movement go forward. And my business partner, Kate, and I just came around the idea that we need to bring people together. And we need to get the media involved. We need to tell the stories of how we want to see this movement go forward in our community, but actually at the national level. Yeah. And it is January. So it's like the perfect time for people to reexamine their relationship with alcohol. And I'm sure that so many people are doing that. It's such a pleasure to see restaurants kind of taking that in account and starting to add more zero proof cocktails into 
their menus. So how are you inserting yourself into these spaces? We're listening to what people are open to. For example, we have our first official restaurant partner that we've collaborated with to bring some non-alcoholic options. And we view them as elevated non-alcoholic options. What we're finding is that even bars and restaurants that are offering non-alcoholic typically have a lot of sugar. They're called mocktails, like the language around what's presented. And then, frankly, the staff doesn't fully understand why people, for whatever reason, might choose not to drink. And it is really prevalent in all of our spaces that it is assumed that you will order an alcoholic drink. So there's layers to how we're consulting with bars and restaurants, not just to have a physical option on the menu, but to like really elevate the whole experience and the inclusivity of being able to go into these spaces. I know myself as a sober person still struggle at eight years to like, I know going into certain spaces that I'm not going to be welcomed or people will ask, why aren't you drinking? And it's like the most annoying question. And I really with my TED Talk and things that we'll talk about in our conversation, hope to flip that, that it's just normalized that we would maybe choose a non-alcoholic beverage. And I completely agree with that. So I came from the bartending industry. So mm -hmm. I was a craft cocktail bartender and I didn't really understand the culture around zero proof cocktails or at the time I was calling them mocktails. I didn't really understand what that truly meant to somebody who mm. doesn't drink until I quit drinking. So for the listeners out there, like I'm about two and a half years sober. Congratulations. And, uh, thank you. And I was one of the people from the pandemic that decided to quit drinking because I had a lot of time to go inward and realize like, hey, maybe I'm a bartender that shouldn't be focusing on the spirits part, but more so on the non-alcoholic portions of it. So as people are moving through like this dry January month, maybe re-examining their relationship what lessons can they take that they're learning from this and how they're interacting with other spaces? What lessons do you think that they can take from that to bring into all year round? Yeah, and it's so interesting. Dry January is now 10 years. It's been in effect for a decade. It started in the UK in 2013. The accessibility of Dry January is amazing because over those years, it started as the idea that it would be for people in recovery or desperately sober necessary. And it's moved to just like it's acceptable for anyone that drinks any amount of alcohol to just test it out, see what it feels like, understand your relationship with alcohol. And 31 days in January is a good time frame to do that. Plus, the rest of the world is paying attention and restaurants and bars are focusing on it. So it's just wide open. I'm really excited for this year in particular because we're at the level where we're going to see a lot of people doing that. And I can't tell you how exciting it is to hear people that were maybe sober curious, could sort of handle their alcohol, thought it wasn't a problem, actually just said, what? I don't really need it. And that mm -hmm. is the big lesson that over this 31-day period, if people are taking that away or integrating alcohol in a way that feels they understand why and it's more in moderation or it's a balance just arriving at those options and it's wide open the sober spectrum is just like so wide right now yeah and i loved the wording that you use about what we're doing as a society when we're not drinking mm. and we're doing a lot like i feel like a lot of people are just thriving without it 
So I wanted you to go more into that. Yeah. The biggest thing people have landed on is this idea of connection and the false perception that drinking alcohol in these social spaces creates immediate connection. And so when you start to think about how you come together in community without alcohol, if you've ever had that at a party or a larger experience where it's been alcohol free and you still have these deep, rich connections and you don't need alcohol. I hosted my birthday party this summer and it was completely alcohol free. And Mm -hmm. people just were like, wow, I've never experienced anything like that. And it's a whole nother level of connectedness. The other piece of that is our social spaces, our bars and restaurants aren't set up to support that type of non-alcoholic experience. Frankly, (laughs) they need revenue. They have a huge in selling alcoholic beverages. And so our whole conversation was, what are people doing if they're not sitting at a bar stool with their friends for six hours on a Friday night? So the community piece of it is that different like pairings, I would say, of social gatherings, like book club, right? Mm -hmm. Like bring your glass of wine. And I love how Renee has just said, bring whatever beverage you like. Like even that language feels welcoming to me versus it's a wine and wellness thing or a book club and wine. And Mm -hmm. thinking about the pairings and challenging those for anyone who's listening, what groups are you a part of that you can push back on and say, hey, maybe we could make it a little more inclusive, have non-alcoholic options and actually tell people as you're inviting them, you can expect that we're going to have something for you because I still don't find as a sober person that happens. And I'm always left wondering, how is that experience going to be? Am I going to feel anxious because I'm not drinking? All of those things come into play. And so looking at what are those social spaces and experiences look like in the future for us? Oh, yeah, I am no stranger to being that person that brings a <laughs> bottle of kombucha everywhere I go. What's your purse beverage that you bring with you? Oh, there's so many. My business partner, Kate Faulkner, and I just laugh because we have like our stashed purse and we often look at what's on a menu at the restaurant and ask them to make something. It's really interesting and it's acceptable. Like you just bring your own and that creates curiosity too. I would say Ritual Zero Proof. Check them out because they have de-alcoholized versions of all the spirits that are the most popular. So a gin, a tequila, a rum, and a whiskey. And tasting those was like mind-blowing. Tell me more. (laughs) Yeah. So when you would typically have a gin and tonic, the Ritual Zero Proof gin, you just swap it out. It's a de-alcoholized version and it's served in a drinkware that looks respectable and has all the garnishes. And that person who is serving it to you is like, this is your elevated beverage. Enjoy. Mm-hmm. You are included. and makes a huge difference. So that's, again, the work of Zero Proof Collective in the drinking culture in those spaces to make sure that that's also part of it. I definitely do not want to get all dressed up to go sit down at like a nice restaurant, have a beautiful meal, and then have it sided with like, a coke yeah um, we can do um, better yeah we can definitely do better it's so wonderful that there's people doing that kind of work to make boozeless baddies feel more like baddies i guess yeah <laughs> right we want people asking us right what is she doing what is yeah. she having and a lot of times my friends will be like well i would just have that it looks like, amazing why is their skin glowing so much yeah like oh right. it's sobriety, sobriety. <laughs> yeah absolutely um, So you're mentioning you 
did a TED Talk. That's pretty neat. It's still not out in the world. So I did the talk October 29th. And actually, by the time this recording goes live, it may be available. It's called Sober, Not Somber, An Enlightening Way to Evolve Drinking Culture. So the Sober, Not Somber has been my hashtag for years. And it really is a mindset and an attitude. Early on in sobriety, I definitely was somber. I was inward and I was pretty miserable. And so as my journey has evolved, I have stepped into just like, this is an amazing lifestyle. It's available for anyone. And just the idea that I could get in front of an odd live audience, but then also have the potential to kind of build on the sober curious movement, which I feel was so impactful, but more at the individual level. And that was 2018. So this four years later is like, Let's step into these spaces and be unapologetic about the experiences we want to have. And to me, that isn't like shying away from being like, oh, I'm not going to order or ask for anything, NA, because I'm going to be shut. Like stepping into that and boldly asking for what we want because we know there are options now. That's the other kind of convergence of what has happened is these makers and the non-alcoholic distilled market has just exploded. So it's like, no excuses, right? And so mm-hmm. the talk seemed perfectly timed for everything that had happened like during the pandemic. And then as people have reevaluated their relationship with alcohol during that inward oh, yeah. time, there's so many people that are just like, maybe I don't need it. So it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. The things that happened during the pandemic is like so many people's stress levels went down and they realized that they couldn't just rely on going to a bar to get their community. And like personally for me, it was realizing like, oh, like I drank with all my coworkers and I thought they were all my friends and really, no, you're all just bartending and drunk at the same time. So <laughs> yeah, community does really sprout up when you decide to take a break. For sure. So any other wise words for the sober curious out there. Yeah, dry January has just become more accessible. And the biggest piece of that that has moved and shifted throughout its 10-year history is the idea of a label. Yeah. Talk a lot about labels, Feminist Book Club. And like I, 10 years ago, took on the label of alcoholic. And for 20 years, it kept me out of the only place I knew where I could get help, which was an Alcoholics Anonymous room. And the first thing you're expected to say, I mean, everyone knows that, right, is to say, hi, I'm Jen. I'm an alcoholic. And for 20 years, I was like, if that's the first thing I have to say, there's no way I'm going. And it's been a big shift that what we call quit lit, which is how to not drink, right? So between Holly, I'm totally drawing a blank. Oh, uh, Holly like Whittaker. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quit Like a Woman and Laura McCown's We Are the Luckiest. There's so many more avenues in. So you can create your own sobriety journey and questioning around it. So that is the biggest thing that's changed. And to not be afraid of the word alcoholic. In the past, it comes with so much stigma. But literally now, there's so many different ways to just, I'm doing dry January or I'm making healthier choices. There's just so many ways to just handle it in conversations and in spaces and really feel more supported than we ever have. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, yeah, AA, it's not, not something I did. I definitely took the book route and mm-hmm. I'm very grateful that I did. Yeah, Just do what absolutely. works for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, are you reading any other books that you would recommend to our friends out there in the world? I happen to be reading one that's called Calling in the One. 
by Catherine Woodward Thomas. And it really is about being in a healthy relationship with yourself. Oh, that's so nice. And if we're connecting it back to alcohol use, and that's what I did as I was reading the book. If you are in a relationship with someone, a significant other, a friend, to look at the connection of how alcohol shows up. I always call it the third party in the relationship. Because like you mentioned with your bartender friends, it's like, oh, I have this great community and we're drinking and doing whatever. But once the drinking goes away, like, do you still have that connection? It's very deceiving in many relationships. Alcohol is just this like threat or presence. And to understand how you are in a relationship with someone without alcohol. Like, wow. Like, really ask yourself those questions. Well, it is a mind-altering drug. So, yeah, yeah you're going to be right. different while you're... It, it is going to be a third party. I like thinking about it as a third entity because mm-hmm. I did write multiple breakup letters pretending that alcohol was my significant other. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, I have done that. I have something on my site, too, called a baffling breakup because it really was my best friend for many years. Yeah. Especially yeah. at the end of my alcohol use, it was... The thing that I relied on, it had all those kind of similar things that you would look for in a person, which is really frightening to like look at that through this community to like writing about it and understanding how much of an impact it had was kind of devastating. But Mm -hmm. again, the reason to kind of keep moving through it and move on to discover what it looks like without it. Mm-hmm. And to people out there, if you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. We've all been there. Or oh, not yeah. all of us, but many of us. <laughs> For sure. Oh, uh, and any last words that you want to share? The biggest thing with Zero Proof Collective even is this community of people interested in advancing the movement in social spaces. And anyone can be part of that. And what we're talking about is this also this hashtag of ask for NA. So what we know is that many people have been shut down and had terrible experiences just trying to get a decent drink that's non-alcoholic. So to be able to confidently ask for that. So I would encourage people as they go into bars, restaurants, even events, that's another huge space, to just kindly let people know this is what you're looking for. And you would really appreciate it because even you, like as a bartender, That experience of like making someone so happy, like literally if something is offered to me, I just want to like hug my bartender. Like, thank you for seeing me. It's underestimated how impactful that can be. So just be aware of that dynamic as you go into bars and restaurants and look at what's available and have conversations with your wait staff or people that are hosting. Yes. And I will say towards the end of my bartending journey, I was loving making mocktails. It was the only thing that I was putting out there. But also at the time I was dating somebody who was sober and I wasn't just yet. So he like inspired me to like make mocktails. And then that's all I did. And then I made that jump to I'm quitting. (laughs) That's amazing. And it's such a creative experience. We hear a lot of makers talk about now. There's actually several sober bartenders that we know of in our community. And it's like they love that. And we... We've shifted the language a bit from mocktail to non-alcoholic cocktail Mm -hmm. just because we're also sensitive that if it's a mocktail, it's like trying to mimic an alcoholic drink, which may imply that it's better. So that's how 
some of the language has changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do prefer the word zero proof more than yes, anything and of course, yeah, it makes me feel more name. grown up. You know, <laughs> it feels, and I can't tell you how many people who still don't know what that means. Yeah, like what is zero proof? Okay, well, really, it's no alcohol. So ABV is the measurement of alcohol by volume in a beverage. And typically, like your kombuchas or some other beverages can kind of nudge up onto like a certain percentage and it's still kind of considered zero proof. But just to know that there are, especially if you're pregnant and you have other very specific needs, you want it to be 0.0. So just a range of options. And it's a whole education now as we get into cannabis and all these other additives to our drinks and experiences. And it's actually important to like know what's in the products you're consuming. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me in this conversation today, Jen. It's been a pleasure. If anyone wants to find you, where where do they look? Right now, we have Instagram, which has been our just kind of organic creation of community, and that's Zero Proof Collective. And we are launching our website, zeroproofcollective.com. I also have my personal brand at jengilhoy.com. So it's G-I-L-H-O-I. And that's going to have like all of my writings, podcasts, and also my TED Talk. And I love it. People give it a listen and support it. The message of Sober Not Somber getting out there and the power of how we can change our social spaces if we ask for what we need. Heck yeah. And all those (laughs) links will be in the show notes. So you'll be able to click and find Jen very easily. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening out there, friends. And thank you, Jen, for being here. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Hello, it is Sally. I'm so happy to be here with you right now. I hope that you're doing well, or at the very least that you're getting some rest and some downtime in these wild, wild times. I'm really excited because anybody who knows me knows that I love romance novels, but there are a few things I love more than a story about friendship doesn't need to be a perfect friendship. It could be super messy or weird or chaotic. (laughs) But if one of the main takeaways of a book is that we should love and appreciate our friends, I'm all about it. So I wanted to share some of my favorite books that either feature friendship pretty prominently or they're explicitly about friendship. Starting with Wash Day Diaries by Jamila Rouser and Robin Smith. This is a graphic novel about a group of five friends. It's about their relationships with each other and their hair. It's black joy and resilience on full display. I want an entire series of these graphic novels. Please and thank you. I will say that there's content warning for harassment. But in general, this is a feel-good book about black female friendship. Then we have Sawkill Girls by Claire Legrand. This follows three teen girls who come together to fight against a monster or a monstrous entity in their town. They don't start out as friends, if I remember correctly, and they're quite different from one another, but I really felt that they forged a powerful connection throughout the story. And at the end of it, I was just really left with the sense of like, man, like a a group of teen girls can really just do anything. Give them a task and they will get something done. Content warning for this includes death and there's some others but that's the one that I remember the most so be sure to look those up if you want more. On a slightly similar note we've got We Write Upon Sticks by Quan Berry. This book is absolutely wild 
and I loved every minute of it. It's about a high school field hockey team and the lengths that they'll go to to win their state finals. It's fun, it's hilarious, and the friendships here are really the backbone of this story. Their relationships to each other are really just super central here. There are some content warnings for homophobia and racism and adult minor relationships and a few other things. And then we have Watch Us Rise by Ellen Hagen and Renee Watson. This is a heartwarming young adult novel about two friends who start a women's rights club in their high school. The book is about them starting this women's rights club, but I really feel that their friendship is central to it. It's really sweet and supportive. It's not without conflict, but it's still just like a really nice touching story about two friends who come together. I guess I'm now realizing this is quite a quite the theme in these books. <laughs> these are all books about friendships, but like teen girls coming together for goodness, <laughs> which I didn't quite do intentionally, but I'm happy that we're here. Also, because this next and last recommendation is quite different from these other ones. Maybe this is a bit of an odd pick if you know what this book is about, but I am going to go ahead and recommend So Happy For You by Celia Lasky. Is it the best depiction of a loving and supportive friendship? No, no, it, it absolutely is not. But it is an interesting look at female friendships and what bonds us and what pulls us apart and how friendship changes over time. And really, it's just such a romp. It is, it's a book about somebody who's getting married and then invites her, the person who has been, used to be her best friend to be a bridesmaid. And reluctantly, she agrees. But maybe things are not as all of what they seem. Hilariously, there is a content warning here for toxic friendship. So you can <laughs> maybe already see that this is not ideal. Also content warnings for abuse and homophobia, I think racism too. But it's just, it's, I don't know, like friendship is dynamic. And even though this book is not ideal, like the friendship in this book is not ideal. There were so many parts throughout reading it that were just like, man, yeah, like this is what it is to have friends and to drift apart and to maybe come back together. So I did want to include it, and again, because it's just such a fun time, and I love recommending this. So that's it. Those are my top five books about friendship that I just really love sharing with people. I would love to know your favorite books about friendship. If that's a thing that you like reading about, please send me all your recs. I will read them. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter and wherever else at Sally Simply. If you've read any of these books and you love them, I definitely want to know about that too. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Happy reading. The greatest gift you can give this season is the gift of the bird. Flip em the Bird is a clothing company bringing cleverness, wit, and a dash of curse words to people who need a good laugh. Flip em the Bird is a small business in Minnesota that provides 14-day, no-shit, easy return policy, quality, earth-conscious products, and gives back through volunteer work and fundraising. After all, swearing is caring. For all your gift-giving needs, go right to flipemthebird.com, where Susie will get your bird flying in two to three days. When you don't have the words, your clothing should say it for you. From Simon & Schuster, today we want to introduce you to a book that will have you laughing out loud and crying tears of joy. Sorry, Sorry, Sorry by Marjorie Ingall and Susan McCarthy is the ultimate guide to apologies. And let's be real, 
we could all use a little help in that department. Whether you're a serial apologizer or someone who struggles to say sorry, this book has something for everyone. But don't let the serious subject matter fool you. Sorry 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 is bursting with wit and humor. You're gonna love their deep introspection and laugh out loud humor about the art of apology. This book is a must read for anyone looking to improve their relationships and communication skills. So pick up your copy of Sorry 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 today and start your journey towards better relationships and communication. Trust us, you won't be sorry you did. See what we did there? Click the link in our show notes to order your copy. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a dangerous creature.